Hi, Ryan. Hello, Rachel. How you doing? How am I doing? I am doing spectacular. Oh, Rachel. My YYE, short for Yum Yum Energy, is off. It can't be measured right now. I am excited. We're getting closer towards the end of this third season of Babylon 5. So that sense of accomplishment, that sense of saying to people... You thought I wouldn't make it? Well, I did, is rising. But I am a little sad because soon we'll, we will be beyond the Ivanova opener. <sighs> you had to bring me down. <laughs> you had to bring me down, didn't well, you, Well, do you know what might bring you back up a little bit? Is it is it why we're called Yum Yum? <laughs> is that the reason that always brings me up? Please, no, Rachel. I never want to do that. I want to bring up that we have a guest. The guests can wait. They can wait in the corner over there, be ready to be stomped and beaten on by us. Why don't we get them to tell us? That's a great idea. We can put the responsibility on the guests because they obviously know everything about this. We have Ben. We have Ben from the Last Best Babylon 5 podcast. Ben, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you two doing? Oh, you uh, already just said that. I mean, I, I don't know. I like that, That's like a, a reflex response. I feel like I... If I just tell you how I'm doing without following up, how are you doing? I feel I feel like I'm 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 violating some sort of social code. It's like that episode of Phineas and Ferb where Perry the platypus walks onto a train and there's Dr. Doofenshmirtz and he says, Sit down, Perry, and then Perry's looking around and he's like, Ah, Perry, you've been trapped by my most nefarious one yet. Social conventions. And that's you. You felt the social convention be put upon you to ask how we're doing back, even though you know. Do you feel yeah. the yum yum though, Ben? Yeah. Do you do you uh, feel it in the room? With you know, you? I I I feel it. I, I got to rewatch uh, a, a favorite. Um, I I did. I, I was just uh, muted. Uh, so, but uh, I did like groan a little bit thinking about losing the. Ivanova voiceover. It's You're, sad. That it's is sad. sad. So Ben, tell everyone why this podcast is called Yum Yum Podcast. <clears throat> All right. Well, so if you're familiar with uh, the television program uh, Star Trek Discovery, there's a, a beloved uh, character in it who is so memorable. I'm not even going to say her name because everyone knows the Discovery's bridge crew intimately. Um, and she was from the Enterprise originally too, and they never mention her in Strange New Worlds either. <laughs> Strange. She was their engineer at one point, but hey, whatever, go on. You know, uh, like, you know, I far be it for me to reduce her to what her costume is because, you know, she is a very rich uh, character. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, she has, uh, that, that little, uh, eye thing and, uh, at, at one, oh wait, no, yeah. She breathes. <laughs> she, she has a breathing apparatus. She's a Barzan. She, of course she's a Barzan. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you know this. We um, all know this. We all know it. Everyone knows this. People tune into the Babylon 5 discussion to hear about this. Uh, but, uh, during, uh. One moment of exaltation during, I believe, what the first, second, uh, second season, second season, fighting control. I'm gonna be honest; I didn't even watch this episode of uh, of of Discovery. I watch the first couple episodes of each season and then stop. Um, wow, uh, Cad. She, she remarks, 
Yum, yum. And on a scale of one to ten, how horny were you when she says that? Well, I, you know, uh, having only watched it out of context, uh, 11. There's no, <laughs> dude. There's no context dude, within dude. the episode. Dude, I know context is for kings, but there's no fucking king <laughs> that can, can rule that kingdom. Universal laws for lackeys. Context is for kings. We've had a little bit of a lull. We had Great 17 is Missing and Walkabout, not the most... Bango episodes, but we're back on track with episode 20 and The Rock cried out, No Hiding Place, which the DVD description describes it as <laughs> such. An ecclesiastical group from Earth brings information and inspiration to Babylon 5. Meanwhile, Sheridan discovers the Shadow's attack plan and Malari sets a trap for Reefer. Ooh. Oh, there's a there's a lot in that description. First, first thing, ecclesiastical is a is a statement that was just dropped casually in there. And I appreciate that the DVD writers are stretching out their vocabulary. Still had a meanwhile in there. Yes, I just want to point out that that synopsis does not spoil the episode. Yeah, unlike no, it doesn't. some others, like the, isn't that right, Benjamin? I read. When we did uh, the podcast. (laughs) 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 (sighs) And and Steve and Sean, when I talked to them, they're like, oh, yeah, no, we would have figured it out. I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But but yeah, I I read uh, the Lurker's Guide synopsis uh, when when we were uh, teasing it. And it's like, Londo and Jakar come up with uh, a secret scheme. And I like reading it, like I'm, I'm just kind of like, I just pulled it up and I, I didn't even make that connection mm-hmm. re- uh, reading it. Like I was just like, oh, I guess that was the plot. Like there must be a scene where they talk. Oh no, it's a, it's nope, a, it's surprise. a surprise. Oops. <laughs> it's a secret little surprise. So Ben, you host a Babylon 5 podcast of your own in which uh, you and two friends are going over B5, but that is not just the format. Sean and Steve, your fellow hosts who have joined us on uh, this podcast before, they've never seen Babylon 5 before, but you, you've had that joy, and you've seen And A Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place before, isn't that correct? That's right. It, it's also, when I think of uh, the show, like, even if, even before I did, like, this rewatch for the podcast, like, if, if and where I hadn't seen it for, for some years... The like the the climax of this episode was definitely like one of the moments of the show that has just always stuck with me. It's a very striking moment. It is memorable. It is very different to how this show usually goes about things, but uh, it is also a moment from this episode that has aged really well. We've seen a lot of these styles of kills and demises of characters be almost a given in television, especially in the age where Game of Thrones exists or, you know, The Sopranos or Breaking Bad, where you have these really creative, fun sequences to uh, go over things that we've seen a lot of before. But, uh, Rachel, what is your history, relationship, dynamic with And The Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place? I remember being like, oh, okay. Okay, watching this episode for the first time, and then it gets to that scene, and then I was just like, "Fuck yes!" Yeah, it's it's very much uh, 
what you what I love about Babylon 5, it has a little bit of everything that you need. You have political plays, you have religious stuff, you have the ongoing romance, you have the JMS monologues, deep character moments, ongoing continuity, as well as pushing the themes of the show forward, as well as, of course, one of the best death sequences that you can ever get in this series. So you remember it on that level. But yeah, for me, this is one of my favorites of season three because it does provide all of those things that I like about the series and does so very masterfully, very uh, very much of a person who understands their own series now at this point. There's no stress, there's no worry that they're going to drop the ball at any point. And especially after coming off a couple of weaker episodes, you get an instantaneous feel that this is going to be a good one. So you you have that security, you have that sense of, oh, I'm in somebody's hands that knows what they want to do with these 45 minutes. And so for me, this has always been a spectacular episode, an absolute uh, winner of, uh, of a one for me. Ben, what about you? What was it like coming back to revisit it now? I mean, you've already reviewed it recently as well on your own show, but uh, you stated, like, you remember the end, like, we all kind of remember the culmination of this, but uh, how is it for you now? It's, it's, it's funny um, re-watching this one because there's so many... Uh, little details that like uh, that I don't that I didn't quite uh, recall going into it uh, I had a lot of fun like just even rewatching this time which like so we like I, I watched this for the, our podcast like I don't know three weeks ago um, but like this time I was really entertained by like the Centauri politics stuff like i think it's it's kind of what what you said ryan is that this episode has a whole lot of everything of uh babylon 5 like it it has every single part of uh the the show in it in in some way uh like it it has, uh, like, love it or hate it. It has uh, JMS's kind of corny humor. It has, like, drama. It has, like, sneaky parts. It had like, it just has a whole lot of the, the various flavors of, uh, of the show. It, to the point where I, I wonder now, kind of, like, you were just talking about how, like, uh, you know, like Walkabout and Grey 17 are, are not great uh episodes and it makes me kind of wonder at this point now that we're at like kind of a good uh like run of plot episodes which will obviously continue into the fourth season in a little bit um like uh how how much of uh jam like how impatient is jms himself when he writes Hmm. those (laughs) one-offs That it's like I I gotta write these because like you know this is this is you know there are twenty two episodes and this is kind of a uh you know people might not see the whole show and like he said even like on um like the uh like speaking online he was like in the first season will be like twenty percent plot and in the second it's forty mm-hmm. sixty like you know it goes up 
and yeah. it goes up. Wonder, has it occurred to you that half the other races are at war? We have to figure out what to do about them, about us, and you're worried about Jakar? We have a lot bigger concerns here. Big concerns grow from small concerns. You plant them, water them with tears, fertilize them with unconcern. If you ignore them, they grow. Uh, let's talk about the the religious leaders that visit Babylon 5. They uh, help kick off a lot of things in this episode. and Especially that monk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Buddhist monk, and uh, I can't remember what the other guy was, but they're also just here, and then they disappear for the rest of the episode. <laughs> they're at the dinner. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm sure. I, this is. I just can't contain myself. I know this is something you're probably going to bring up, but it is one of the most distracting guest star castings. That they have Eric Avari, they don't do anything with him. It drives <laughs> that, me nuts every that's, time that's, I see that's this. That's his career, though, isn't it? He's always in things, and it's a varying degree of if he's used or not. And also, what ethnicity will he play this time? I yep. think I read he's played like over like twenty-two different cultures and ethnicities and religious backgrounds. Yeah, and- I buy that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know anymore. Like, I watched a little while ago the movie called uh, The Beast or The Beast of War, where he had to play, I think he was an Afghan. And I'm like, okay, sure, sure, right now. You're also in this movie as this and this movie as that. But you're right. He's, he is a distracting guest star if you know your character actors. And he just says a couple of lines. Just hello. Well, and he has such a distinctive and uh, he has such a distinctive voice. Like with his three lines, like I kind of, I'm like, wow, that guy's got like some pipes. And then he just kind of sits there. (laughs) (laughs) He just sits there. Hey, at least he got lines of dialogue. The others didn't. (laughs) It was just him and and, and the reverend. They were extras. They were just folks in costumes. They, They were here to say lines. So Rachel, what's happening? Why are there religious leaders coming to Babylon 5? What's the stuff happening? They're smuggling information to Babylon 5. So they divided up the world into east, west, and the middle. Yeah, and thank God that Eric of I, he took the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Including <Yeah>. Geneva. <laughs> and Australia. And Australia. Oh, we were there. We were in the middle. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think geography-wise. I guess I'm we like, are. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But I okay. feel like there's a discrepancy in the amount of yes. land covered for one of them. <laughs> Like, I feel like gonna... the other. T- I feel like the other two had a very uh, small amount to go over. Like that—that's gonna happen. Like we live on a part of the globe that is much more water than continent. <laughs> but yeah, they're here to give us information about what's going on back home. That there is a resistance back on Earth, fighting the good fights. Mm-hmm. And and what propaganda they're trying to spread are about B fives. <laughs> It's good to touch in with that because uh, it's been a little, a little bit of time since yeah. we've got a feeling on what Earth is getting up to and how they mm-hmm. feel about Babylon Five. That there's a brewing ISN tension does there. Does not give us the pulse on Earth. They don't give us the real news. They give us that fake news. Mm-hmm. And this is also a plot that's an excuse to have some more Brother Theo yeah. uh, hijinks here. Uh, ben, what do you think about this side of And the Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place? Because we all want to go to the Reefer and Londo stuff, but this we'll also get, we'll get there. This we'll also takes there. up a, a large portion of it. And without this stuff, the, the Reefer stuff wouldn't hit as well. 
What do you yeah, think of it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I, I love the character of uh, Brother Theo. It's it's kind of funny. Like, I don't know if this was a scheduling thing or just there wasn't time in the plot or whatever. Like, uh, because this is, this is, he only gets three goes um, in the show proper. Um, and uh, so it's a little... Uh, little bit of a bummer to to see him go but i mean i i love this side of the 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 plot um and i mean obviously uh the the star of this group of uh like of this plot the ecclesiastical plot as the uh dvd menu or the the dvd description would say is uh uh mel winkler is william dexter uh who like uh like he he's the the leader and the the rival which uh to to theo which mm-hmm. is a lot of fun because uh they're they're obviously they have they express their christian faith but uh you know obviously uh they're from theo different groups catholic yeah, yeah yeah they're christian faith in very very different ways <laughs> um they have a history it's, it's together very, as well yeah, which i like yeah it's and I was thinking about this when I watched uh, this too. It's just very interesting. Um, it, JMS is uh, an avowed uh, atheist, though somebody who went to uh, Catholic school uh, when when he was a child, um, and, and was also part of a Christian cult at one point. That yeah, is that also too. true, uh, though he pulls he pulls from that uh, for a different plot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you mean a great plot right yeah a really good plot um that i'm really looking forward to watching <laughs> Ditto, me too remember byron <laughs> hashtag remember byron. um but uh it's it, you know in his autobiography he's uh generally not like he doesn't have a lot of favorable experiences uh <laughs> No, like obviously no. <laughs> the Christian cult, but also like just in Catholic school, he deals with all sorts of nasty, you know, nun teachers and, and so on and so forth. And so it's always very interesting to me in these episodes that a lot of these characters are, are like very like they're 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 written. There's no uh like uh what would be fashionable about 10 years after this episode yeah. there's none of the uh like smug dokken dokkenism yeah there's no, no animosity towards that them. are also good people too well at least like, uh, yeah from what we see they're good people and religious yeah it which is not what you get a lot of the time you get religious nut jobs in tv now more that than is, anything or you get vague religious overtones without any specificity to it, which is what drives me insane. It's like, at least JMS has an opinion. From what I can gather, his opinion is he himself may not be a believer, he himself may not find solace within religion, but it would be foolish, especially from a historical and societal standpoint, to throw out the idea of religion. Mm. We would take that with us to the stars. There are people who do get things out of religion, who define themselves through their religious uh, ideals, but also people who are self-aware enough to not just be, oh, I'm the reverend man, and I'm going to have to 
baptize you to God, Sheridan, because you don't believe in anything. No, it's, it's no. people See, are God people. God will find you. And I think that's very clear within this, because what you're getting at, Ben, is like, you have Theo, who's a bit of a stick in the mud, a bit of a prickly so-and-so, and he's a snob, and they even make comments about this in the uh, Avonologue, the Avonova monologue at the beginning, where she talks about, like, I don't... I'm not a participant of that faith of Theo's, but I enjoy having him around. Mm-hmm. He brings something to the Comfort. station, but he's so annoying. Yes. And that's a, that's what I really appreciate too of is if you are going to be positive about religious figures, show all the sides. So mm-hmm. Theo might be he's not this, a saint. He's, well, he's, yeah, he's an annoying little prick. And I, <laughs> and I love him because yes. you know what he does feel like to me? He feels like a real Catholic that I've met yeah. in life, especially oh, an older yeah. one. Mm-hmm. He feels so much like that where I want to like them because they're spreading some good faith or good word or they've got some wisdom to bestow, but they're just, you know, they're prickly. They're, they're of a certain era or a certain way. And that's what I appreciated well as well about this side of the plot is although it isn't going to shake the foundation of the Earth versus Babylon 5 war plot. Like, I honestly don't remember if any of the stuff that they're given here will help aid them in the future. It is a nice yeah. little rest stop in, mm. the so- in the story to remind us also that one of the key themes of Babylon 5 is faith, is religion, is that, and how we can use that to help rebel against corruption, which is also something good to think about yeah. too that even the religious people are looking at the fascism of earth and saying no it's a, it's a small thing um but it is a clear touchstone or signpost to the stuff that they end up doing on earth yeah where the war ends up so it's sort of a little bit of foreshadowing in that sense of like we're gonna circle back to this Mm. this isn't going away but also re-establishing how people on earth are being presented information about the people of b5 not just the station but the people who are running it and babylon 5 getting a deeper understanding of how earth isn't just falling in line to this as we were presented in uh, a point of no return or severed dreams when major ryan came on it's like well people are embracing martial law because it's this thing that it's cleaned up the streets and law people don't know any better but now we are being told no no people do know better there are more people who are the fact that we have there is a resistance there is a majority But there is a resistance. And again, there's just something very striking about the imagery of these people, this rabbi, this reverend, this this Catholic monk, this Buddhist, and so on, that even they are saying no. And it, it makes me think back to season one, where the diversity of Earth's faiths and Earth's cultures was this embraced thing. Sinclair showed it off as like, look. Look at what we've got. And now Earth is something that is very much insular and it doesn't want yeah. that diversity. It wants everything to be in one way and one way only and everyone else can fuck off. And now we see these things. They saying, don't have a crime problem there anymore. We don't. We, no, 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 no. It's solved. Uh, we, we don't have homeless We people. rewrote the dictionary yeah. and now it's everything's fine. Yeah, it really is like um, part of the uh, th- speech 
sermon mm. that is given towards the end of like it's beware of anybody who says that difference is dangerous. Oh no, my friends. The enemy is fear. The enemy is ignorance. The enemy is the one who tells you that you must hate that which is different because in the end that hate will turn on you and that same hate will destroy you. Theo, this is his last appearance and I also am not too sure as to why. We know that this actor was originally drawl and he had to drop out of that because he was too busy being on Broadway, which is very hilarious because the guy who played who who replaced him as drawl also will never come back to Babylon 5 because he was too busy being on Broadway. On Broadway, yeah. And I don't know if that's why Theo doesn't come back or perhaps JMS just didn't really have much else to do with this story element because in all honesty and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this rachel does theo exist so that we could have the brother edward episode because i i honestly think we need theo to exist so you could have that episode work the way it does and i honestly i I don't know why i'm not that mad about it i'm not that mad about it i do think that that is a large portion of it is that he was around for that episode and they obviously liked the actor and they tried to give him some other things. Well, I'm thinking that they constructed Theo and all of the monk stuff so they could eventually have that Brother Edward episode. Like, introduce the monks, then have that episode, and then how many episodes has been since we've seen Theo? It's been, like, what, 15 episodes? The entire season. Yeah, it's been the entire season since that Edward episode. Yeah. Yeah, because like, and those were early, early season episodes. So we haven't seen him since like they've declared independence. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh wait, he's still here. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh that guy. <laughs> like, oh, I, I, I do wish we got more Theo because it does like I, um, I think that's an interesting uh, theory that that he was uh, like that. Theo set up so they could do brother brother Edward, but it does really feel like uh, initially that they're they're being put there for the long haul, uh, and then it's that they just didn't have the time uh, for it mm. because I think also like the whole concept of uh, that order where they're they're trying to find uh the the face of god and aliens and then also then what we learn about like you know vorlons uh like later on like it kind of feels like there there's a little like there's at least some meat left on that bone and it you know maybe it's scheduling um you know maybe uh he just uh decided like eh no, actually, I, never mind. Or, <laughs> like, it could be as simple as, like, you know, in the, the fourth season, uh, it's it's just like, oh, I don't have time for this anymore. Um, yeah, there's yeah. no time for this. We've got to move on to other things. I would have loved to see how Brother Theo would have reacted finding out the truth and see how that tests his faith. And I would have actually yeah. liked to see JMS write a story 
about that and how Brother Theo's faith, although shaken, is not destroyed. And he finds a new solace within the religion and that it shows on the, again, on the ground level of of uh, believers that the knowledge of the Vorlons manipulating everyone doesn't wash away the validity that uh, that that uh, something like Catholicism can bring you because that is a part of what you get from Babylon 5 a little bit is that cynical streak, that atheist streak of like, guys, come on. Do you ever think about how Delenn's whole entire race is fucked up because Jeff Sinclair made up all of his bullshit so that they can get to where they are? Well, think about that, for, but for Earth, but the Vorlons did it for Catholicism or Judaism or this or that. And it's like, hi, guys. And I'm like, that's cool. And I like that. And we see how this can be explored with people like Jakar and how he becomes a religious figure in real time for us. So this isn't closed, but I will say I'm the only one here who's watched Crusade. And I mm-hmm. say this with authority. I am correct. Theo should have been one of the main characters in Crusade. I would have loved that. I think he would have been a perfect addition to that show. He would have been the Bishop character from Firefly, basically. And I think he would have bounced off really well off of uh, uh, um, uh, Edward Woodward's son, uh, off of Galen, the Technomage. I would have loved an old Catholic bickering with a Technomage. That would have made the show so much more enjoyable than given, what we got. Given the uh, the network's relationship uh, with that show, I can't imagine in a million years they would be like, "Oh yeah, like this sixty-five-year-old, uh, uh, <laughs> like old man, like you know they they forced uh, what, they're, the wrestling they're like, fans no, we like need uh, Lockley on the show." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Lockley. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get Gary Cole as your lead. Everyone loves Gary. Uh, oh, I—I I mean, we all ironically, yes, I do love Gary. I, Cole. I love Gary. I, <laughs> I do. He's one of my favorite actors. I love that he's guy. A fantastic. He, he could do comedy. He could do drama. He could do it all. And he's handsome. And he's always had the same haircut. Yeah, <laughs> he's never and, changed. And it always worked. It, it only has improved as he's as he's gotten gray. Like when, he's a when I see fox. that haircut and it's jet black, I'm like, no, no, no. It's it's he's a gray fox. He's a gray fox. <laughs> Let's talk about some great acting here. The Sheridan story is he's burdened with responsibility. He can't figure out the shadows and how illogical they are, but logical at the same time. We get lots of back and forth cute scenes between mm-hmm. Delenn and Sheridan, but it all really culminates in the wonderful conversation between Reverend Dexter and and Sheridan when he's alone in his office sitting with one or two lights on and Reverend Dexter's just walking about. And Babylon 5 is a series that I think all of us have said at some point is very rewarding to its actors. Mm. Because I've seen this actor in a few things. Uh, he's recently, he was well known for doing the voice of uh, uh, Aku Aku in the Crash Bandicoot games. And <laughs> I remember he was also in an episode of Star Trek Voyager. And that's actually a really great place to start off. Star Trek Voyager, he's in an episode, it's the episode where they find Amelia Earhart, and he was one of the people who was also abducted by aliens, and he gets basically nothing to do other than, I'm an old black farmer, and I got abducted by aliens, and that's his character. That's all he gets. That's all he gets. 
doesn't uh, don't they also find a truck? Isn't that yeah like yeah, yeah that's how it opens. They it's find a truck. truck. Yeah, truck, there's a, sure. a truck and yeah, I think Tom's it's his truck really too. Excited about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, but he gets nothing uh, to do in that episode. Yet he probably gets yeah. the same amount of screen He's the time. The Kavari of that episode. He is. He is. And uh, here, Babylon Five, he's just some guy. Like you know, he's just some character that JMS is like, you know, it'd be really cool if just some random character could have this massive monologue and conversation with our lead and really change our, our hero's perspective on, on the world. Because it, it, JMS really likes to play with how people can pass through your life, life and make a really big impact. Mm. Like, it, it's not like he's ever going to see this person again. But he will remember that moment and that conversation for a very long time. That changes the way that he works with Delenn. And we know that that is a fundamental shift that's required to make his presidency work. I uh, I like what you said there too, because in real life I've had many moments like that where there's been a person that has come into my uh into my world for a brief moment and they've made a great impact on me it's easy to go to the negative ones but yeah. you do have those positive ones and i like that i like that a lot where jms is really great at capturing that with these one-off characters and the one-off characters can honestly be some of your favorites in shows, oh, especially yeah. shows of this era. That's that's why I get frustrated with, say, Star Trek Discovery. They have no good one-off characters. But there are other shows on currently, like Better Call Saul would have like an abundance of fun one-off a characters. Rich, a rich bench. A of, rich bench, or like uh, ones that are little and you, they just become bigger and bigger over time, like his fellow lawyer buddy. Uh, at the yeah. courthouse, and that's a great character that was just supposed to be a one-off character. And the, the twins in the first episode, yeah, the twins. Those, those are those are great ones to pull out as well. And uh, yeah, this conversation, Rachel. Do you kind of want to walk us through what's happening here? <laughs> it, it's so hard to not just say play that scene. It's like four minutes long. I know, Hit it. but it's. <laughs> Johnny, <laughs> give me copyright, boys. Warner's, what are you? What are you after me, Warner Brothers? You can't catch me. Um, they they laid off the person that that would that would get me. Out. You're right. You're, yeah, that person no longer. Uh, works we got rid there, of the guy so. that would have got the yum yums. He's <laughs> currently applying to Twitter, and unfortunately, I got bad news for him there. <laughs> I've watched your people since I came aboard. They all come to you with questions, problems, concerns. So who do you go to? Who do you talk to? Oh, there isn't anybody. Uh, it's my responsibility. I, I can't put it on anyone else. Sheridan is trying to do it all. And he doesn't feel like he can, like, really rely on anybody else because, you know, he's the one in charge of Ivanova and Garibaldi, so they have to come to him with problems. And, and Franklin's on walkabout, so he can't he can't do it to him either. And the dude just understands that he's a reverend. Maybe he knows what walkabout is. I, I'm they, I'm told they that Emeritus walkabout excuse, several times excuse, in this episode, and nobody asks 
any questions. Because all Americans know the complexities of walkabout, especially, <laughs> as we discovered last time, it's especially what? JMS. He really yes. knows the cultural background <laughs> and context. Yes. And it's not like he pulled it out of his ass and made up his own bullshit and whacked <laughs> another name on it. That sounds yes. culturally real. Um, so he gets pulled up on his bullshit by the the dear reverend who gives us a lovely sweet anecdote about when he was dating his wife and she would come over and help him clean his apartment even though hers was a gosh darn mess too because she liked the feeling of helping him it wasn't about the cleaning it was about being there for him being supportive all of those lovely things it's about the company yes even though sometimes the mess would be too much for both of them, it was great to have somebody there to help you, which I really, really globbed onto on this watch because I always remember this monologue it's or this conversation. It's really great. I liked how Sheridan at points during it was very defiant and very aggravated, and he's like, I, I don't Get like out. this. Get out. The Reverend is touching some sore points for, for Sheridan, but I really liked that sentiment of, Hey, even though sometimes that problem, the mess, for you it's going to be this war, may be too much for even the both of you, it's better to do it with somebody else than just by yourself. Mm-hmm. I and really then like he that. says that, like at the like when he is sitting there with Dylan and they've gone over it and we cut in clearly at the end of like this very long conversation that mm. they've been having and she's like there's just nothing to it oh yeah i i um but with there, there is no logic i'm sorry john you and i rachel we love the slow burn chased romance of their relationship but this is such a moment of catharsis where somebody says out loud dude she loves you just know that man just do something about this don't just yeah. stand around and be all coy and and, and oblivious to this oh. we had a random person do that for me yeah so uh i i really i really again that was that was a highlight of the moment too and ben i was curious of how you're feeling about the delen and john romance how has it been for you on this watch it's so funny because i think i've i've seen a lot of people um put their romance down and also say uh that they don't buy any like they don't see any chemistry between uh uh mir furlan and bruce boxleitner and uh this is i've really enjoyed it this time and i like how they they act together i think they're really fun together um the uh and i think also part of it what makes it so entertaining to me and and fun for me this time is that uh on my on my watch this time i really really enjoyed uh sinclair's relationship with Catherine, which is a billion percent different um you know like it is uh like extremely extremely different um like this is one of the major differences between these these two leads and so that you replace you know Sinclair uh who you know sleeps with Catherine that episode 
um, with, uh, you know, with, with Sheridan. He's a boy scout. Yeah. He's a total boy scout. And like, as, like, as it it comes up and like, you know, they, it's obviously part of his introduction. Um, like, you know, he is a widower. Um, and then like his absolute worst fear happens in in a couple of it's like finally i kissed someone else yep z minus 14 days <laughs> yep. yeah yeah z minus 14 days the right after uh he's he's kissed he finally kisses someone else and exactly the reason why he didn't do it happens yep <laughs> jms really likes to Which kick you in the funny he gets he likes to kick you in the gut jms because rachel you were up the wall by the fact that <laughs> he's already kissed Delenn, but it's a version of her from the future where they've kissed many times so yep. in a way it wasn't special but also it was because that's the first time you see these two mm-hmm. characters kiss on the show yeah and then this one they kiss and it's the like glory shot kiss where, yep. hey, honey, nothing turns me on more than military grade <laughs> equipment, baby. All you needed was a fire off some nukes and I would have come in my pants. Uh, he's just he's so such a corny. fucking military he's such a dweeb. Dog. And and they're he's kissing. So corny. They're the... And of course he could only be moved to <laughs> by uh, war. To to kiss her. By a religious figure giving him permission, like obviously, <laughs> like this is it's it's yeah, like but that's another thing. Like on on this watch is realizing just how corny this guy is, and how <laughs> easy it is to inspire him. And, and Bruce Buxton um, is so good at making him not so corny that you roll your eyes constantly and get fuming about the fact that they're elongating this this love and i also want to shout out that they have been continuously coming to the romance without having to inject any bullshit drama that will make it so they don't get together again watching farscape right now and that's the main relationship in that show oh my god they're gonna get together oh wait no now there's a clone of john and there's all this crazy hijinks well here it's just Darling, I'm just so damn tired from trying to figure out how to win a war. And she's like, oh, you're crotchety, John. And you're like, oh, these two will get together and kiss by the end of the episode. And they do. I mean, you have to also Such make it... a long it's, uh, time to wait, though. It's like a season. It's about just over a season of waiting. And you have to do it so you don't reduce the characters down to just being, he's the yeah. guy and she's the girl. You have to make sure that they're both their own characters with their own autonomy and their own drives outside of... We have to kiss at some point because I know we shit on Star Trek Discovery all the time, but that's what Ash Tyler was. He's just a guy that you have to wait for the kiss to happen. And then, uh oh, he's actually evil. He's very pretty. He's ve- I mean, yeah, he's uh, very good looking. He's, he's, so he's, you don't need to build up tension when it's just like, wow, he's so good looking. You yeah. <laughs> Especially when he's harassing Matt Barry <laughs> in a series of increasingly wild outfits. I was waiting for you to do it. I was waiting for you to, 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 to make the Toast of London reference, and there it is. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I that's going to be on his grave, isn't it? He's going to be known just for being Clem forever. It's just going to be his fate as an actor. And you know what? That's fine. That's fine. It's all right. Accept it into your heart. I Yeah, I recently uh, met... Uh, there was a 
uh, a woman from the UK uh, visiting. We were at a bar, and for for some reason or not, like whatever the playlist at the bar was, uh, "Take My Hand," uh, the Matt Berry uh, song uh, comes <laughs> on, and she just lights up, and she's just like. I love Matt Berry so much. And then when I, I turned around, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I adore Matt Berry. Then all of a sudden we were talking for, <laughs> I was like, okay, now we're friends. I was going to say, now, 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 ben, now Ben got engaged to a random British person, which is, yeah. which is the dream, honestly. <laughs> yeah, finally, I can, I can move to a place with a, uh, also a functional government. Yeah, with a king. Uh, you can move to a place with a king. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they got that new monarch Finally. smell. Okay. <laughs> now I'm comfortable moving there. <laughs> I would remind His Excellency that it was I, not Londo, who organized the attack on the non-homeworld. I, not Molari, who removed... Prime Minister Malachi, and enabled Cartagia to take the throne. I... Yes, yes, and the Emperor appreciates your part in his ascension. But this division between two of our oldest noble houses serves no one. One of the big takeaways I had on this watching of it was how the story has to be palatable to a first-time viewer, and that it made me think back about how Lord Reefer... 80% of the time is a character that is there to dispense exposition. And because the character is so self-serving and manipulative and greasy and just this oozing postule of a soul, the way that he dispenses exposition also gives us character. Because you have this moment later in the story where he's talking to Lord Varini and he's... uh just telling him what's been happening in the show. Like, I'm the one responsible for this and this and this, and Londo mm. isn't, and Londo did this and this and this. And that is so that we can check in with the audience. Hey, guys, this is who Lord Reefer is. This isn't going to be important for the third act of this episode as well. We need to make sure that you know this. But you almost don't even notice or care no. about it because... Him speaking like that is true to the character. He's it this, feels right. He's this wormy guy trying to make his case for why he's so important. And that is the thrust of the episode is Londo and Rifa have to squash this rivalry. Somebody has to come out on top. And so they have to make their case. And Rifa's doing it in the way that he knows how, which is a little whisper over here, a little pleading over here, a little speaking about my virtues and how important I am to the narrative everybody he's very much a character that thinks oh i'm 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 the i'm the, i'm the lead he's he doesn't think he's a hero i like that he plays it very much like no no i'm the lead character of the narrative everyone should appreciate that about me lord reefer <laughs> he's got <laughs> such a a wonderful evil smile uh this this like he has just this evil like especially like later on in the episode when he thinks he's won and he's just like now i now i have everything like he's just got such a nasty piece of work smile that is just a delight like this is it's just so much fun to watch him in this episode 
and always, but in this episode. Oh, and always. Rachel, we have been big Reefer fans on this rewatch. So talk to me a bit about why that has been the case for you and how he he, uh, managed to still capture that or not on this episode. Because this is also, sorry guys, uh, spoilers. It's his last episode. He doesn't make it out of this one. I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry to make it. Oh no! Bits of him may have made it somewhere, but he didn't well, make it well, as a whole. Some of it, some of him made it onto that data crystal. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about nice little details, I like that the data crystal's covered in blood. That's that's a detail I very much appreciate. And Thank you. The minister <laughs> takes a bit in his handkerchief that he also used to like dust off the chair. Oh yeah. In the room. Yeah, there's lots of little details. Lots of little, mm. little, little specific mm-hmm. things happening here. I love how Rifa is this carnival mirror of Londo. Um, and it's just like, oh, how far Rifa will be pulling to go and how far Londo goes. <laughs> just having those two things in mind at the same time is such a joy. Oh, he makes you, uh, there's moments within the narrative of the two seasons he's in where he almost makes me question if he's more respectable than Londo because he actually knows what he is. Like, he embraces being this nationalistic, egotist, power-hungry asshole while Londo's Mr. Oh no, I can't. For my people. For my people. He's always obfuscating. He's always hiding behind something. He's always trying to redeem his soul when he's damned. There's no point in trying, but also there should be a point. There is a point in trying. There is a point. He seeks out those opportunities. He sought out that prophecy. But in an episode like this, where he does, he tries to have it both ways, Londo. He tries to be Mr. I have no soul. I will screw over Veer because he's unimportant. But really, I had a good plan underneath it all that was going to help stabilize our people. And yes, if I get more power, that's fine too. Like, he's very self-serving in a in a different different way to Lord Reefer. Lord Reefer is upfront about what a garbage person he is, and in a way, I kind of respect the hustle that he has going <laughs> on. Like I like the fact that he is just Mister. Yeah, I'm garbage, but yeah, I'm gonna I, come I, out I on like top. a villain that knows he's a villain. That's that's there. There are a lot of really wonderful villains that know they're a villain. Um, and Rachel, I absolutely agree. Like he's, uh, like Londo without, uh, like Londo without the tiny, very quiet angel, like Londo without like a veer around or something like someone Mm. to make him feel guilty. He is a man that came into the series as just another Centauri guy to tell Londo information. That's what his role was. He was just, hello, Londo. The way of our society is crap. Hopefully you can fix it. And then he just kept coming back in. Mm-hmm. And just coming, kept coming back in. And he had more and more power. And he became more and more present as a character. To the point in which he's one of the most vile villains we have in the show. Like, I feel a lot more negative feelings openly about Lord Reefer than I have Mr. Morden until yeah. recent times, where you have episodes like The Long Twilight Struggle, where it's Reefer who's standing there saying, hey, Londo, commit genocide. 
do it. Come do it. On. And what does Londo do? He bends. He commits genocide. And you have Reefer there going, good job. Good man. Bravo. Mm. Come we have a look a at great the great seat. Have a look at the seats up front. Have a look at that planet get bombed back into the Stone Age. And I, I, uh, I truly do adore how in this episode... He's indignant throughout all of this because anytime he hears Londo be referenced or he sees Londo, he looks so upset. Just so upset. He's so pissed off to be dragged to Babylon 5 again. They once asked us to recognize them, you know. They seem to think that if our government recognized Babylon 5, they would have an easier time establishing their independence. Not much to be independent about, is there? Lord Reefer. No. Excellency. You have that amazing exchange between him and Lord Reefer about how shit Babylon 5 is. It's like, I'm so sorry, this is the best they could come up with. And and then uh, the Varini is all, you know, they came to us when they they seceded from Earth. They came to us for their uh, independence and they wanted to be recognized. And he just like looks at this shitty quarters he's in and just makes a jab about a, what was, you know, succeed from what? Oh, yeah, so you can really see how magnificent it is. And he walks over to the couch and he dusts it off with his handkerchief. Yeah. It's just... Oh, I love it. I I love everything about that. I I love that whole, how it's staged... Everything about it, it's its just fun. You give <laughs> actors little pieces of business and it, and it really adds to the viewer's enjoyment because on the page, you could make this very, very stiff. You can make it just two characters telling us what the plot is. They can look at the audience and say, okay, audience, this is what the plot of the episode is going to be. This can just be an exposition scene, but you let those two actors do their little business where Reefer is is postulating, he's kind of curling his fingers while the guy's talking. Uh, the guy grabs a handkerchief and dusts off the chair. It's very small, but those little details build up. And they and build it's up. not done in a way where it's like... And now I take my moment and I activate my character working skills and present this detail. Mm. It's not like that. I agree. Which is a, a difficult thing to manage. That balance of having a character do those little quirks and those little actions and it not feeling like, and now is my time to shine. I was curious to know from you, Ben. Lord Reefer is a character that we've all enjoyed. You talked about him with us last time you were on the podcast. He's in six episodes. Yeah. In the entire show. And I was Wild. curious to know what you think about, uh, you know, a character with very minimal screen time and how they can still be memorable and effective and how does reefer fall into that for you because there are so many people like this in babylon 5 naroon's mm-hmm. in less episodes than, yeah, than reefer yeah. he's in five right. and you get varini later on the other varini and he's only in like a handful oh. of episodes and then obviously we're star trek fans you're a fan of sliders you know farscape there's lots of those people who will make a couple of appearances maybe less than a handful and 
they are memorable. We like them. They make an impact on the show that's a positive. So I was curious for you, how do you think that works and how does it apply to someone like Lord Reefer, a guy that was just here to be someone else to sell, tell, tell Londo, the old ways are gone, Londo. Tell us, what do you think? Well, it's also interesting because I remember, uh, like I noticed that it's only six, which it's a good sign for his performance if I'm like, uh, oh, he must, he's probably in like a dozen episodes. And then I look up and it's only, only six. And then there's like, at least there's one, but maybe even two of those appearances. He's just on the, the TV. Like he's mm-hmm. just on the, like he's just making a call. Um, and I mean, what, what makes him, such like have such a like a a sticking like why does he why is he so memorable well one is because he gets just a absolutely spectacular death sequence Um, oh yeah which we'll we'll i'm sure we'll we'll have plenty of uh Mm. things to say about um but i think it's also that um i think i read that william forward uh, kind of based his performance on uh, Peter Jurzik's. Is that is that right? I would like, say I, so. It, He's the only other yeah. Centauri to ever actor to ever do the accents or do an accent. Uh, although we do have Lord Drigo in this episode doing a little Italian accent, which I I adored, <laughs> and I thank that actor so much for putting in the effort. And I noted it down in my notes; it's right there, and I underlined it, and I wrote "thank you" next to it. But, Just a lot of really interesting accents going on. For the Centauri, but uh, where whatever region of Centauri Prime Reef is from, uh, he grew up in the same block as Londo, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, Transylvania, yeah, 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 exactly. They both grew up in the the Dracula block, and um, and and I think that's just kind of because, like, Londo is is like it's such a fun role, uh, like uh like you know it's a it's a big emotions role and then if you base your performance on uh on on that performance and then it's just like you're like that except you're a real fucking piece of shit and like londo is also uh culpable in war crimes so uh like you're worse you're you're monstrous you have nothing like you that's brag about so... your war crimes. He's happy. Yeah, that's, that's a like... part of that exposition dump of like, I did it. It was me, which is funny because later on he tries to deny yeah. his, like, his ah, involvement because because he's spineless. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, like, because it's also when he first shows up in the, the second uh, season, um, it's... I remember, like, the first time I watched it, being like, oh, no, like, he's, 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 uh, he's pushing Londo down a dark path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that reef, oh, I can imagine Ben, he's, oh, sitting that there, reefer. he's sitting there twirling his hair going, oh, it's such a bad influence on Londo, that guy. I don't trust that yeah, guy. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's like, oh, no, like, you, you hate him even more because he's, uh, helping enable Londo down uh like the the horrible path that will lead him to you know have a little 
thing uh, on his neck that lives on he's, his uh, shoulder. He's an overt presence. Where Morden, he's Mister. Oh, I'll let you do it on your own. You decide what you do with the power I give you. Uh, yeah, it's really all in Morden your hands. Is the all actual one behind. You know, you're the <laughs> behind things, including a certain somebody's death. Yeah, including Adira's death, and but. Reefer, he's he's right in Londo's face telling him to do bad things. And so we, the audience, notice that a lot because you have two devils for Londo. You have the one who's the classic Mr. Morden where he's like, I'll make a deal, uh, no strings attached, except we have to give us something in return. And then you have Reefer, who's, I'm going to use you so I can get more powerful. And you know that, and I know that, but we're just going to pretend that that's not real, okay? Now commit a war crime so that I can get more powerful, okay? Can you do that? You'll do that? Good. One of the things I think, uh, 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 and Rachel, we've talked about this in the past, so I think you can expand upon this. One of the reasons Lord Reefer, a character that exists in six episodes, can be something that we remember, something that we care about, someone that we elate in their death even, yes. is because he is well-defined. You yeah. know what he is, you know what he serves as a mm-hmm. story, and you know what he is in relationship to our main character, Londo Malari. Yeah. And how often do we see that be a failure? I mean... Uh, yeah, like, it is super easy to go, oh, you know what, we'll make a foil for this character. And then it's just like, well... Why do I need two of these? But because there is such distinct differences between Rifa and Malari, you get a deeper exploration of both characters. Because mm. a lot of the times with a foil, you'll just get a deeper understanding of the character that you started with. But you deeply understand both Londo and Reefa by the end of this episode. I think about this because of Reefa. Babylon 5 has villains, like your Mr. Morden and your Emperor Kataja and the Drak later on, mm-hmm. and Reefa e- Has and... its evil people yes. that are also villains. And you know what this really shows off stuff like modern star trek or the mcu really fail at villains they have a real mm. villain problem it's and there's always that... say, oh there's a weak villain in and, this story. and there's always that defense of no guys you see they just don't have enough time or yeah they could have made that more more nuanced of a villain i'm gonna challenge that babylon 5 all these villains i've just mentioned not very deep not very nuanced mm-hmm. But you know what they do? They serve the function really well. Um, you you get it. You go Reefer, he's not a deep character. You get he's it. He's not really that deep of a character. He's just a mustache twirling bad guy. But he serves the function we need him to do, and you he does it in a way. You know his motivations. You know what he What's is. What's underneath the hood. And so we don't need him to have any more. This is enough. This is good enough. This is something where I go, that's enough. Well, yes, sometimes you need a villain that maybe has more screen time, you know, I, I'll go away from picking on Star Trek Discovery or Star Trek Picard, but Farscape, great example. Krace, he sucks. And <laughs> I, I, part of me goes, oh, it's because he doesn't have enough time. No, it's because I don't know who he is as a villain. I don't know what he really is. I know why he's angry because they tell me, but I don't really understand it. 
well, uh, uh, here we are with Reefer, six episodes across two seasons. Got it. Know who you are, and I really can't wait for you to die. Yeah. And you have clarity. You have clarity, and that's very important for these minor recurring characters. Again, Farscape, another example is uh, Scorpius. He first comes in, know who he is. I Oh, yeah, I know, and I like him. I'm like, oh, who this, who's this weird guy? Oh, I like this freak. I know who he is, and I even know who his right-hand man is. I know that character, and he's barely had lines of dialogue, and I know who he is, and I know what he wants. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a piece of shit, and I love him too. He's like my reefer of Babylon 5. I just love his little turddom. And oh, he's, yeah. Uh, Brack is such a, a little... Weasel. such a worm. Oh. <laughs> I love him. He's my boy. He's got, like, only, like, five lines. Like, you know, like, he just is, like, just this guy that stands there. <laughs> I love Brack. He's such a little turd. My favorite characters in shows are the ones that like the show thinks sucks. And I love like him and Jewel are my favorite characters. Oh, because uh, yeah, it, I, I was, I, when you messaged me, uh, like that, uh, you've loved Jewel. I was just like, that's wild to me. That's so funny. Soulfrail, peacekeepers have always been a manifest military contagion that has raped and pillaged. They haven't died for any nurses. That's just a silly little story to help naive children sleep at night. You know what would help me sleep better at night? Uh, but Lord Londa's a piece of shit in this. Mm-hmm. He, he's, uh, but he has to be a piece of shit. Yes. Um, throughout this, he's putting on being a piece of shit. To then but reveal, but, 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 but that's his thing. He's like, no, Veer, I'm not actually a piece of shit. I had to pretend to be a piece of shit. Because I'm being a piece of shit in because this different I, way. Because I need things to happen the way they need to happen, and you're too small and insignificant to be let in on things, and you're actually you're, also you're valuable. T- you're valuable, but you're not worth killing. <laughs> you're valuable, but only to, a, to an extent. It's not even worth <laughs> murdering you. And... It's you're you're not a pawn. You're uh, what's the second least valuable chess piece? <laughs> yeah, you're 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 that. You're what we call the rube, and yeah. I played you. Yeah, I we have a rube you. on the the chessboard. <laughs> Put a rube on the chessboard, and uh, let's draw a little smiley face on it and call it a V. But I I, I like the uh, relationship that Londo and Via have in this show because. We look at him via as this angel on his shoulder, but we are shown We're here that... We're heartbroken when Londo <laughs> berates him and threatens Via. Yeah, because it's... Londo's done so many terrible things, but he's Vera always seen the value stand, of... Stand, always stands by Londo. He Vera sees... Stands by. Yeah, they, they see the value of each other, even if Londo begrudgingly doesn't want to, and this mm-hmm. is an episode where we aren't let in on what Londo's up to. So he's particularly mean-spirited in this one. And I like the restraint on JMS's part in general, where he will let you say, let you just wallow in the fact that uh, this character is a, a bad person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, that's it. That's it. I don't need to try and win you over to them being like being a little sweetheart. I don't need a little no. comedy beat at the end to remind you that Londo's actually a funny, whimsical character. No redemption. What, you didn't like how he treated Via? Yeah, I don't either. Like, that's how the show is. Like, oh, you didn't like that? No, I didn't like that either. You know who didn't either? Via. Yeah. Via didn't <laughs> like that. And uh, this is the time where Via's <laughs> like 
loyalty to Londo is really challenged. Like he is upset by Londo. He is he no doesn't longer... want to keep walking with Londo. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about all of this, Ben? Because we oftentimes talk about Londo. He's one of the most pivotal characters in the show, and it's mainly because you have this series making you like a character that is detestable. And this is an episode where it's just full-on evil Game of Thrones, House of Cards, I, Claudius, Londo, where he's throwing away all of the likable qualities we have for him and engaging in all of the villainous traits we've seen from him. How do you feel about it? I think the the show sets you up to feel kind of conflicted about it because ultimately... Like I like it's it's done to do like to to help. I mean, to do something. Uh, I mean, is it done to help Jakar? No, it's done to to help Wando. It furthers <laughs> his motivations. It's just uh, that or his objectives. Uh, it's just that in this case, his objectives are served by giving Jakar something he wants. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but the show sets you up to feel a little conflicted about this. And what what I thought about, uh, like, uh, about it when I, again, when I, just for this specific watch, I was really thinking about how miserable it is for Veer to know that Jakar knows that he can be bought um because because Jakar no, like when Jakar comes to the door and and hears uh uh what what Veer has to say like he knows he knows what's up and Veer has been trying to do the right thing uh this entire show and it's used against uh, him here. It is the reason for yeah. why Veer has to do this, because you tried to do the right thing, which is actually the wrong thing for Centauri. And I will use that against you, Veer. I will destroy you, because yeah. you've done morally good things, and I'm going to show you the error of your ways. And it's like, oh. He's punished for it. He's punished for it yeah. in this episode, which and is exactly. sad. And he's used. Punishment. He's used for it. And then also, like, the people, like, like... Veer has tried to to help uh, the Narn in the uh, like in the limited ways that he can, and then to have it that um, like that he he's used as a a pawn in this and in a way where Jakar like because Jakar's his conclusion out of this is that I can't trust Veer. Mm. Right, like it's like he the 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 lesson that Jakar gets is that that Veer can be bent and broken. Um, He's and... still the messenger boy. Nothing's yeah. changed. Yeah, exactly. Uh... And um, and it's just like that. That has to be like to 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 Veer just remarkable, like just unbelievably uh, uh like feel bad even if it was like because in Londo like in Londo's mind it's like well I'm not really hurting Veer because uh in, in the end I'm it's all for good. Yeah and, and he'll bounce back. He always does. He'll yeah. come back to me like the little lap dog he is because yeah. that's yeah. his role. That's how I see him. Even yeah. though I also see him as a part of myself. I pulled right. the the leash when I found out about 
him mucking around on Minbar. The leash got pulled back. He got pulled back to the attaché position. And now he's being brought in even more to heal with the way that he's played in this episode. What is hilarious is Londo does all of this in this episode. He does all of this stuff. Not because of his securing of his place or st- stabilizing the rift in the Centauri court. or He doesn't even care about any of that. Those are things that he pays lip service to. The Bro, thing, you killed my girlfriend. He does it out of just simple revenge. That's it. He, you, you killed Lady Adira, which is ironic because we know that he didn't. So Reefer gets killed for something he didn't even do. Out of all the things he deserves to get murdered for... The one thing that he didn't really bother to dismiss is like, oh, no, I didn't do that. Well, it was too late by that point. They've poisoned and poisoned. So, But it is just that thing of Londo is that character where you feel even more conflicted because... He 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 mas- he wears all of these masks as he says throughout the show is it's all about appearances, it's all about lies and deception and putting on the mask. And throughout this one, he's putting on that villainous mask, but also one that says, I'm doing this for a higher purpose, Veer. I had to do it, but really, it's because I think you killed I believe Lord Reefer, you killed Adira, and I'm gonna have to kill you for that. I've waited too long. I want you dead. It needs to be sorted. Uh, and that's really the root cause of this entire episode is just, like, just vengeance. Just yeah, bloody just vengeance. vengeance. And <laughs> you you are conflicted again because we know that Lord Reefer didn't do it. So this is going to be a dangling thread where you, the audience, are wondering, when's Londo going to find out the truth? Because you know in this he's being played like this is a part of morden playing him he makes londo believe one thing and londo is an emotionally charged character who Mm -hmm. will make a cascade of chaos in his wake wherever he goes yeah it's a very it's it's pretty funny like yeah because you know that reefa didn't kill adira uh but you're watching it and you're kind of satisfied because it's like, yeah, that guy sucks anyway. He deserves to die. <laughs> non killed him for the reasons that he deserved to be killed for. Yeah. They don't care about Adira, but that is why he was killed because he's, he's perceived to have been the one to have poisoned her. It's just adding to the layers of, of nuance and frustration with Londo Malari as a character. He's a character that... Whenever we do our discussions, whenever we review, and I'm sure it can be similar for you, Ben, especially more difficult because you have to hold your tongue because of your hosts, where each Mm -hmm. episode where we have Londo, it makes you examine how he, as a writer, JMS, can do this. Like, how can he make Londo work? Like, how can this be someone that we keep wanting to follow and even see redeem at points and we're happy for him, but then he does... He's done so many heinous, heinous acts. He's said so many horrible things, and yet... How can you ever forgive him? You feel an overwhelming, like, attachment and sadness for this guy. It's it's a large juggling act, and in this watching of it, I feel for him, but at the same time, I just want to grab him so much. I just want to grab him by the shoulders and shake him vigorously, saying, Wake the fuck up, Londo, you dumbass. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's really sad. Um... And it's it's there from the the like from the pilot from the the gathering like he's he's a guy that um he is 
desperately uh, grasping for a glorious past that might not have ever really existed. Um, but he's, and, and those people are always trouble. <laughs> you have taken from me that which I loved, Rifa. You also took the life of Prime Minister Malachi, a good and dear friend. You have inconvenienced me and threatened my position in the royal court and weakened our defenses by your constant warfare. Rifa is one of the best deaths in the show because it's just different. We cut from... Because it's the... so much fun, Because it's so much fun, Jan. This is one where it feels very different from how Babylon 5 presents things, but it's but it's really fun to watch, and it's grounded in uh, like filmmaking terms that pay off. I, I, I believe I read that the inspiration for this scene was from Cabaret, which JMS is a big fan of Cabaret, hence we had Michael York in the show earlier this season. Yeah. And Cabaret was one of the things on his mind when he was writing this sequence where we have this jaunty German music where everything's happy-go-lucky, cutting to extreme violence or like cutting to menacing imagery and just the contrast of those two things. And that's played here. In, in Cabaret, uh, and I might be getting the exact details, like in the film version of it, there's like this moment of celebration like towards the beginning of the, the film where uh, we see uh, like the doorman uh, turn turn around and and push out uh, like a couple uh, Nazis. And then uh, later on, um, you see uh, this doorman uh, get like while he's walking home from work or something, get confronted by the same Nazis and they beat the shit out of him and it cuts back and forth and this is probably what mm -hmm. the, the scene it cuts back and forth to on the cabaret like this there's this uh like uh uh like on the stage they're doing this dance and they're like doing little dainty movements with their hands and then it's immediately juxtaposed with you see the fists of uh like the brown shirts like beating yeah. uh beating up that guy and so absolutely I can see that um as inspiration uh uh for this this particular scene. It is incredibly satisfying because it's the show saying, Hey guys, the bad guys don't always win. <laughs> There's been a oh. lot of times bad guys are winning, and this is one where it's like, No, no, he can't escape. There's no escape for this guy. The such song, a fist pump moment. The song is perfectly matched to it as well with the with the with the words and how he can't escape and that you've got to meet your fate and uh, you rock right out no hiding place as you see Reefer trying to first he's trying to bargain with them when Londo's talking as a hologram, which I really like how that's uh, oh, the blocking presented. of that is so fucking good when he like almost hits Reefer in the face and he walks through Jakar. And the actors are reacting to it. And I, I think yeah. I read a bit about how that was done and shot where they had shot all the Peter Jurassic stuff and the other actors had to do choreography to that. They had to time it out and they had to react at these certain points and had to have their eye lines right as they insert Peter Jurassic in there and they all 
also had some times where he was on the set there, but it's 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 this thing where you don't really consider it all that much. But I I, I also really like again hologram stuff is always difficult. I like oh, that it's tricky, yeah. Londo is interacting with the environment like how he would just if he recorded a hologram thing unlike say in star trek where they have holographic communications and you're like what's it like on your side though how are you walking around the bridge like this no, what's it like over there for you this is a pre-recorded he, message where he has he's not looking at reefer when he's addressing oh, reefer yeah. I, I really liked that. The technicals um, of this was really enrapturing. He has a line that also acknowledges that he's on Babylon 5 when he's recording it, and I yeah. really liked that little touch. It added a lot to the menace of it, because Londo is killing him from a distance. I don't need to be there to kill you. But also I- in time. Oh, yeah, in time. Like, I've planned this out. You've now fallen in. You're going to be dead in minutes? <laughs> That's a that's a phrase uh, that he uses that I I would have gulped down if I was reefer. If you are seeing this, you will shortly be dead. Yes, it, you have minutes left. He's <laughs> like, oh, so good. Oh. Uh, what 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 really works about the death too is you just get that monologue from Londo, just telling him all the reasons why he's going to kill him, how he's going to get killed, why the Nan are going to go along with this, and just also, hey guys. He did all of these things. I'm sure that they'll want to thank you for that, Reefer. And the dramatic irony of Reefer proudly stating these horrible crimes earlier on, and now Weasley, Mr. Oh, I didn't do it, actually. He's lying. He's lying. Why would you believe him? That's not true. And begging for the guards to come back. He's He's acting. Do you remember your reaction, Ben, at all? Or, like, what is your general feeling when it does cut to the the, the gospel song? Because it is just, like, it just goes, bam, now we're doing this. And there's that element of, like, what is happening? What are we doing? Yeah, no, I mean, it was a, a, a total, as, as said earlier, it was a, a fist pump moment. Like, it's just like, oh, wow, oh, they're doing this. What? Oh, that's crazy that's fun and then it's also it's like oh we're tying these two plots together somehow why are cool uh (laughs) um yeah i mean to put myself back uh to uh watching this for the first time i just remember like it was just really thrilling and i had no idea um uh that like that that was coming like you Assume that Reefa's days were numbered uh, because Wando, uh, de- you know, declared war on him a couple episodes ago. But uh, other like this, this particular uh, way of doing it, and then the the music. I just remember being like, "Wow, what the hell!" Like as I said at the the beginning of the episode, like this is or, or the the beginning of the podcast. Like um, uh, this is a moment that uh just always sticks with me as uh, a moment of Babylon 5 like just one of the like in the same way that uh uh Delen, um you know uh showing up in the middle of the season and, and mm. with all the the Minbari ships behind her um like it's it's one of those uh top moments of the show in just how kind of audacious it is and how, like, it just sticks with me. It's confidence. 
This yeah, is a show yeah, that is very confident, confident enough very confident to do it. this. This could fall on its face uh, if the show wasn't as confident uh, confident as it is. Rachel, what about you? What's been your overall reactions to this over the years? I love it more and more every time. I, I lost my mind when I saw it because... Not only was I not used to the show doing stuff like this. I mean, oh, no. they, 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 they change around it, what they like to do on Babylon 5. But by season a three... A big flair that, like, a lot of the episodes don't go for. You you became comfortable in season three. You go, okay, we're going to have these this type of the stories. Style. We're no longer in season one where we have these type of stories or these type of storytelling choices anymore. We're going to do this. Okay, we've got a feel. Completely shocked me. And another thing about it was... I'm not used to these shows doing that. This is something where I think it was left for stuff like The Sopranos or later on Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, A Boardwalk Empire. They would all do these very, you know, very uh, cabaret or Martin Scorsese type thing. I also thought of Sopranos. I mean, I also thought of Goodfellas when watching this. But, uh, you know, there were other shows that did this. I mean, this feels like something, again, JMS is a big Twin Peaks fan. Twin Peaks would often play around with these juxtapositions of images and sounds, but it is just very uh, rewarding. But a thing that, that happens to me and happens to you, and I'm curious about this for you, Ben, is it's I laugh. I find it very, very funny that well, Reefer gets killed like this. I'm just laughing when the entire you get thing. The, well, like, Rick just grit on my face away. as this guy gets, Yeah, he runs. And he knows, like, he... he and I mean, in honesty, I would try to run away. Uh, but it's 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 just that it's funny because it's like, um, he you know he he doesn't he he tries uh, every way he tries to pull every uh, uh, lever that he has to get out of this, and uh, none of those work. And he knows that he's done, and then it's just like. All right, I guess I'll run. <laughs> yeah, but he refuses to give up. And the song's telling you that it's pointless. The yeah. song and the sermon is telling you that evildoers are going to get theirs and Reefer is running in slow motion. I just I just laugh and laugh. I, I, I scream with laughter every time yeah. because he deserves it so much. There are characters in shows where you want them to meet their fates. You want them to get the nastiest ending possible. Then there are others where they're villainous characters where you go, death, you're too, you're too clever to be killed. Like Mr. Bester. He's a character where no, I don't know yeah, if you could he's... kill that guy in the show. That doesn't work. And they don't. But Reefer, yeah, presumably, like we would have gotten an episode of Crusade with him. Yeah, but Reefer, he's the type of character where, yeah, he needs to be stomped to death. His death is the solution. Death is death is the inevitable for this guy. He can't just keep getting away like this. He's not that clever. He's he's cunning. He's ruthless. But he needs to meet his. And oh, oh, this is. A very iconic scene. I would I would put in my top ten moments of Babylon Five, and it does make this episode even more memorable. I think that I if he just got episode. if he just got killed in another way, it would still be a very great episode. But this mm-hmm. makes it a top five it episode of season up. three for me. Oh, yeah, and you know William Forward was uh, when he got uh, the script, he was worried that he'd done something. To, to piss JMS off or something that he was being killed and it's just like oh man dude 
this is like I know that you're you're probably also thinking like, well, shit, man, I'm, I'm out of paycheck. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this is what a what a what way, a way to, to get like what a way to be forever memorable to anyone that watches the show. Like this is this isn't uh you know a uh well uh goodbye. I didn't say good luck. This is a uh, like this isn't this a Warren. Is, like, this isn't a, a Warren Keffa death. This isn't this a Keffa death. Brother Theo no, death. and yeah, and I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, this isn't like Brother Theo, where it's just like you shuffle off right, quietly well, yeah. just, without uh, a word. Wait, you're not killed. You're just forgotten. Yeah, you're, you you're not drawled. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're. He's in the bathroom, so we can't see him. <laughs> we got Zathras here, and his brother Zathras. We loved him so much, we brought him back, even though it makes no sense. But we brought him back. Yeah, it's ah, oh, it is just such a badass way to go out to. Like the actor, I can understand that worry because for someone like him, it's like, oh, they've liked me. They kept bringing me back, and now they're getting rid of me in, oh, no. in a way that's really like, really detestable and violent, but awesome. It is very, very awesome. Yeah, and I mean, he gets he gets more in this episode than he ever than, did. Uh, yeah, than he ever has. Um, and so, like, he and, I mean, really, just the more time I spend with him, I'm just like, wow, this is just a fun villain. This is just a good performance. Uh, this this death gets away with it too as being something unique because the show doesn't do this all the time. This is yeah. not something that it delights in often. In television often, especially event television like Game of Thrones or its new series House of the Dragon, it is very much about like, how are we going to kill this guy or girl in a very vile gross or spectacular or extravagant way? We need way. to one up oh, we need to burn this one alive or the mountain's going to grab the beautiful Pedro Pascal and just beat his teeth out. And, like, it's that's awesome. But after a point... you Crush became, the skull. After a point, you became numb to it because you've seen it all, basically. Yeah. And here... It's just like, oh, and you know that they're going to go for something brutal. Yeah, one of the last major deaths was Kosh, and that was presented and done in a very different manner to Reefer, where that one was beautiful and operatic and, and noble yeah. and reefers is the opposite of that where yeah. it's operatic in a different sense it's 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 gospelly but it's it's old test it's like it's yeah. real like i'm beating you to death it's i'm but, beating you to death yeah he's beaten to death kosh was torn apart and we don't see it yeah there's a dignity to kosh's death while there is no dignity in Reefers, oh, no. which there, makes it funny. We don't get to see Reefers beaten corpse. We get to see those nans laying into him, but we don't see he, his corpse. Like no, what, we don't need to. Corpse. We we see no. the we see the aftermath later. What do you think about uh, Jakar not uh, taking part and also not like like just kind of coldly observing it? Maybe like a moment of mild satisfaction, like just a moment of, okay, well, justice is done. And then he walks away. Like there's not, and I think part of it is, is that he, he's just like, well, this doesn't bring anyone back. Um, yeah. He's come a long way. I see it 
also is him walking away from the older version of himself that would have been one of those Narn delighting in it. He's like, that that chapter is now closed. It ties in very nicely to his struggles with his people going forward where he has to learn that his journey, his redemption and revelation is not theirs. Although he's becoming this more empathetic and wise person, that isn't applied to all of the Nards. And I actually like that he it's like, guys, this is this is your treat because you guys need this. I don't need it anymore. But he's not robbing them of that because Or judging them for or it. Or judging them for it it's either. Like, this they isn't they, for me. They deserve they deserve to kill this guy. He deserves to get killed by them. You are personally responsible for the death of five or six million Nards. And I think they would like to thank you personally for your efforts. You can't believe it. He's lying. Londo holding the the data crystal and it's it's smudged with blood on it. Mm-hmm. I've never noticed yeah. that until this watch. Oh, I didn't notice I've never it until noticed. you really? just mentioned it, and I was like, because I just thought like. Like, yeah, I just hadn't noticed it. And when you mentioned it, I was like, of course it's blood. Yeah, that's why it's red now. (laughs) I just was like, oh, yeah, he had a red data crystal, I guess, because the Centauri have different color ones. But then it was like, oh, no. And then you see it in different shots, and it is, like, Because the tip's clean. Yeah, yeah, like, where he's holding it is cleaner, uh, but it's not pure red, and it's kind of smudged. It's like, oh, how nice. (laughs) How, How lovely. What a nice detail. But... There's this scene at the end with these two where Londo's giving the explanation of what happened. He's he's laying the groundwork to discredit House Reefer and that Lord Reefer was trying to bargain with the Nans. Play both sides. sides against the middle. And uh, yeah, he learned the hard way that you, you can't bargain with the Nans. Which is what he did. Which is what... Londo did, yeah. He bargained yeah, with the Nans. Londo bargained with the Nans and it paid <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, Londo's, you know what, I take it back. Londo's awesome. I like that guy. He's, <laughs> he's a real fun guy. I love that. I didn't even think about that. That's a, yeah, great point. <laughs> awesome. He's just saying, basically, he's just lying to the guy's face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's already doing that, but just that little extra salt <laughs> in the wound to Reefer's corpse. Fucking love him. You know what, Londo? You're a good guy. I respect you a whole bunch more now. You've got up my rankings. But, uh, what do you think, Rachel? Do you think Varini believes it? I think he has no reason to say that he doesn't. I don't know if he does or he doesn't really believe, but the matter is resolved. So it's like, well, it, it can go away now. I don't need to care about this. He has no reason to be invested in whether Londo is telling the truth or not. Right. What do you think, Ben? I uh, I agree with Rachel, but I am a little bit more on the because I I've like really paid attention to his face and uh, like when Lando's delivering the news, and there's just this expression on his face that suggests to me this is bullshit. But you know what? I I wanted as Rachel just said I wanted this resolved so this solves the problem like, <laughs> yeah 
It's as, like, oh, this I don't is, really buy this, but okay. Yeah, like I don't really give a shit as long as you two aren't fighting. So now he's dead, so you're not fighting. Yep. I read it that he he knows and yeah. that he was amused yeah. by it initially. He's aware right? enough of the political game. He was amused by it initially, but there were moments within Londo's lies where he was like, can we pull up on that for a second? Like, yes. I find it a bit hard to believe that Reefer was a traitor. Almost a little bit of the, can we make sure to smooth over this story a little bit here? But there was this moment of his acting. Mm-hmm. And again, this is a one-time wonder. Many people wouldn't even go this deep into him, but we all got something... When Londo brings up his name, like, oh, and Reefer was going to even kill you. There's that yes. look in his eyes yeah, where it's like, moment. oh, are you saying you're going to kill me? Because that's where he changes. Yeah. I mean, that's where it's like, mm-hmm. oh. And whether it's because like, he oh, believes or whether it's because he actually believes what Londo's saying and he hadn't considered Reefer that treacherous. But I like to look at it as the Londo is quietly in this moment saying, like, I killed this guy. And... What makes you any better? Yep. Mr. I've just killed someone from a distance. Uh, yeah, and there's that element. It reminds me of Breaking Bad, actually, where Walter White could kill, like, 50 guys in 17 different prisons within under two minutes, and everybody knows it, and they're scared of him, so they just obey him. That's kind of how I got the read. Like, I got the read that he was amused at first, then he was mm-hmm. like, can we smooth out the ruffles here a bit? And then, yes. oh, oh, you're mentioning me now. Well, let's just agree that this is how the narrative went here, okay? But uh, let's let's try not to play this game again. Because then he's really disgusted by the data crystal after that information too, and he puts in the handkerchief and he squeezes it with this... The actor does a really great job. That's what we're saying here. He does a marvellous job here. Let's get into our actor's spotlight, the section of the show where we spotlight an actor or actress that appeared in an episode, whether they're big or small, one-time wonder, recurring or main, we talk about things we've seen them in, what we thought of them here, any pieces of trivia. We're talking about William Forward, Lord Reefer. We've talked about him a lot during this episode, and... If you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast, he has been one of my favorite actors that we've been looking at throughout his uh, throughout the show. I have adored him very much. I love the dedication he brought to Lord Reefer. He made this guy who should have been a one and done into something more. He is one of the few actors that really knows how to use the wig like the big Mm -hmm. hair to emphasize certain points. He really leans into the physicality. He has this posture to him where it's not just the, he's holding his chin up high, but it's almost like he's got his pelvis forward and he's got like this real kind of curvature to the way Mm. he walks where there's just a whole body. He's not a guy who walks. He's not a guy who walks. He slinks. That's mm-hmm. that's how I would describe his performance. And that level of effort from the drop is very much appreciated. And he is one of the only actors to do the accent. He's the only other actor to really do the absurd accent. And although it isn't as bombastic and as layered as Peter Jurisic... It's still grounded it, in it, his it, natural voice. It, it, he, he, he owns that accent that he's playing with. Like, he has made it his and made a character through that voice where Ben I know in your show all the time you love to do your reefer impression where it's just like blah blah I'm a vampire blah because the voice is a huge factor to this performance but really he 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 has the physicality and just 
He brings that energy of, yeah, I'm a piece of shit guy. I'm a bad boy, but I don't care. I'm, I'm going to be the, the number one guy. I'm going to be immortal. I'm going to be infamous. Rifa, I miss him already. I know we're going to get some fun, evil Centauri action soon with the Emperor, but this type of villainy, this type of despicableness is one that I haven't appreciated as strongly in the past, but man, I was just drawn to him every single episode he came in. There was always a little smile on my face when I saw William Forward's name pop up in the credits. I'm like, yay, we're going to get my boy Reefa. Just constantly little claps when he came on being like, yay, Reefa, he's here. I love this guy. He's such a a little weasel of a man. What about you, Rachel? You've been a big fan of Reefa. What's been drawing you in on this watch? Uh I love the way he uses his eyeline i think that's something that i've noticed on this the way that he will look and not look at somebody like mm. it it's just a very specific power play that he does he also does a lot of uh like chin and throat acting where he like tucks mm. his chin into his throat when he's being extra petulant. Oh, mm-hmm. Such wheezy. You're right. The eyeline thing. I've, I've been noticing that too. In the last couple of episodes, he's, a bit, he's very good at being on the TV screen. Mm-hmm. He only did it a couple of times when he's on the TV screen yeah. and he's got the eyeline. He's being he very much like it. I'm better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what about you, Ben? How have you been f- uh, going with reefer on your watch through? Oh, I mean, yeah, it, it's uh, hard to go last on this because I, I agree with everything. He's just great. It's 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 a it, it's a very fun performance, and it's a fun like I think villains like a good villain is a a good uh, a good role to play. Uh, it's a fun role to play. We we talk like we talked earlier about. Uh, reverend dexter uh getting like he's this one episode uh guy actor that that gets this this lovely moment and uh yeah like we we william forward uh as Rifa just gets more and more opportunities and then in this episode especially like he gets more screen time than he ever does. He he gets that wonderful scene where he's recreating the halls of uh, Centauri Prime <laughs> uh, on Narn. Like he gets to have so many solo scenes where he's not with any of the stars of the show. He's the star. He's the person we know, um, and he anchors it. He's able to 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 run it, um, and uh, you know he's not. Like, uh, you know, it's not like Michael York, uh, who, you know, would be, who, who was given opportunities like that or, or uh, you know. This is a smaller actor. He doesn't have mm-hmm. the largest body no. of work. And yet they trust yeah. him as they do with so many of these one and done, yeah. seemingly one and done actors where their career made up of like one or two episode guest spots and other things. And they mm-hmm. trust them and they believe in them and they nurture them to be able to take over a whole scene i know i keep bringing it up for some reason but breaking bad's another example where i remember bill burr was talking about how flabbergasted he was there was a whole scene where the first two minutes uh him bob odenkirk and the guy who plays huel 
running Breaking Bad. That's the scene. It's just them. And it's like three stand-up comedians are in charge of the best dramatic show on television right now. And you just have William Ford who mm-hmm. will go over his career. But another factor I want to want to bring in was how he was upset or like wasn't too, like he was a bit like bummed that his character got killed. Uh, and I can understand why, because it's so much fun. We know <laughs> that this crew, like this production, seemed like a pretty fun place to work. Like all of the stories we ever hear from people who worked on Babylon 5, yes, they had the, if you're in the makeup, it's going to be a bit of a pain in the ass. But most of the time you have lots of great stories about like, oh yeah, John C. Flynn Third was really great to work with, or this director, or oh, I loved working with uh, these guys. They're always joking around, yet they knew their lines and they knew their characters. And so for an actor like him, where this is the most work he ever got on a TV show, like everything else is like two episodes of a show, maybe three. Yeah, I I was going to bring that up. This is the one where he had at least six. So you get comfortable and you like working with the people. And it's not only just you get a regular role. Well, that would be very important too. He got a character to develop instead of just being a guy who comes in to say something and then leaves. This is a character who got to grow in front of our eyes. And as an actor, that is just so... That's what you want. The glory for capturing him will go to my house. And you, good Drigo, will be compensated very well for your trouble. Once we have this Narna, what shall we do with him? Bring him back to Centauri Prime. In chains. As a gift for Emperor Cartagia along with a silver plate upon which I will have the head of Londo Molari. So he's best known for B5, Space Above and Beyond, mm-hmm. Beverly Hills 90210, and DOA. Yes, DOA, yes, yes. Now, now IMDb says he's best known for, for Beverly, Beverly Hills 90210, but I've now gone and, and watched his scenes in them. He's not best known for those. No. no, uh, I can, no, no if, if you want me to go in, ahead, or I could sit on it as we go through his career. Uh, but but oh, I have I've seen, seen Space Above and Beyond. Trust me. I know no. I know. it's also not what he's no. best known for. It so is we'll very, get there. It's very much, we have four slots that we need to fit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that at IMDb, and I was like, mm. oh. And he only has 36 credits. <sighs> I wonder if he was a state, like, they're, doesn't seem i don't know like, I did you find imagine, like a bio or something is i he imagine a he's guy? a stage actor i looked up his wife yeah. who's an actress as well she has roughly the same amount mm-hmm. of tv and film but i looked her up because she's easier to find on the internet william forward is a guy where imdb is the best you're going to get information wise and you just do more legwork i i don't know what he's up to currently but his wife is very much involved in stage and theater and even does some uh guest work video spots on people's youtube channels when they need somebody to act out a thing Mm -hmm. i i saw that his wife was very much involved in a jewish theater company so i wouldn't find it unbelievable that he probably has a thriving or at least has been involved in stage but it's hard to find that stuff on the internet because well that's theater baby it exists in the there now for a lot Uh, of it yeah unless it's Broadway or off-Broadway. Or highly publicized. or yeah, you, you don't get much. Especially if you're doing it in the era of, like, the 90s where you didn't have, you know, you're not posting that on the internet. You're like, I'm in this play, everyone should go see. Not no. Especially for someone of this caliber, I would imagine. But 
keep going through his uh, credentials, Rachel. I want to hear about the 90210. Oh, yes. Tell us about it, Ben. So you're a big 90210 fan. You were there when it launched. You're an American, so obviously you're an expert. Yeah. Uh, I never watched the show before today. What? Uh, no. I, I never, never had seen it before, but it is on uh, the entire run of it is on uh, Paramount, uh, which I subscribe to because that's what Star Trek's on. I'm so sorry. Um, and and so I'm like, all right, well, there are three William Ford episodes. I'll, I'll take a look at the first one. And uh, I watched the beginning of it, uh, of the episode, and I'm like, oh, man, look at all these 90s styles. That's fun. Um, but then I don't notice him, his name, as a, like, as a guest actor. Like, whereas, like, also starring or, or mm-hmm. something. Like, his name doesn't show up in the beginning. Yeah. I'm like, okay. He's not in those opening credits. And uh, so I'm, like, hit it. Like, I'm, I'm kind of scrubbing the, the the time. And I'm like, all right, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And then, like, in that first episode, he uh, his character shows up for one scene and has, like, three three or four lines. He, he plays uh a surprise uh boyfriend uh to uh a girl that uh i guess wow. the main character thought was into him uh and then which was pretty funny um just surprise but, but boyfriend. That's it. and then he comes back five seasons later is a completely different character who oh, also yeah. isn't a also starring or guest starring and he has one scene in one episode and then he comes back two episodes later uh and it's uh, and he does get an also starring, but he also, it's that he gets like half a line more and maybe his agent managed to argue for him. But it's just like, I see it and I'm like, oh, he's just a guy with a pulse. Yeah. And that's sad because we, on we our, see his potential. <laughs> we on our Patreon, we talk about space above and beyond. And I was excited because I knew he was going to be in an episode. They even credit him in the episode. We watched the episode, and I quickly realized who he was in it. But Rachel, you finished go- finished it going. Where was Lord Reefer? Yeah, and I and he was literally the guy. Uh, he, it was set on this one was set on a different spaceship with a different like crew manning it, as our main crew had to take their orders. And he was just the guy, literally at the back of the bridge, mm-hmm. no lines. And the closest shot we got of him was of his shoulder from behind, and you saw like the outline of his face. Everything else is far away, mostly out of focus. I don't even think he had a line, and I was so gutted because he was doing that at the same time as Babylon Five. So he yeah. was doing two science fiction shows at the same time. One of which gave him a character and lines of dialogue, and the other one was just "You are a guy, yeah. sit there and push buttons." And it was deeply yeah. frustrating because I was expecting him to be something of note because I've seen him play a certain character. You have certain expectations, certain wants, and he has a certain look to him. I was like, "Oh, Space Above and Beyond! Mm-hmm. I know exactly what he could play." Oh, this yeah. is the pitch. Oh, yeah, you can meet this. No. Yeah. no, no, Very sad by that. I have four things that I, I, I know him from. Of course you do. One of them is a movie that I haven't seen but I know of. And I, when I saw the poster, I was just like, I feel like I almost rented this a number of times at the DVD store and went, now nah, I'm going to get something else. And it's called Beautiful. I saw this. Yes, beautiful. With Mini Driver. I love Mini Driver. Oh, Do you yeah. know who directed this movie? 
Was it Minnie Driver again? No. No. Who? Sally Field. The oh. Sally Field? <laughs> the Sally Field. I love Sally. <laughs> oh, and my. And it's written by the same writer as Meet the Robinsons. What? Okay. This is... Oh, wow. Okay. And he is just in it as orthodontist. I was going to say, I looked at his career and a lot of times he plays... I guess stuffy people like yeah. a judge or a doctor or a lawyer or an academic or something like that. Just these people who you would imagine. Here's how I describe it. He plays roles where you can imagine they put a set of glasses on his face. Yeah. Even if they don't, he, you know, that yeah, it's a character I think that would wear glasses. Cast for the particular, like certainly on uh, uh, 902.10, he's, he's cast. Uh, not for his performance, but uh, because uh, that he's uh, like just what he looks like, which is like a skinny, balding, uh, middle-aged man that, uh, yeah, probably like you could, you know, probably knock him over with a feather. He you like showed a, me a picture a of him in nine oh two one oh, and I just wrote, "He has such a great sad sack face," which. <laughs> yeah. It's right. not Sad something sack. which is not what I associate Reefer with having no. at all. By no. the way, well, but, he must have been so happy to get like, which is why he was so like because I I, I thought about this watching him in these tiny little cameos on nine hundred two one zero. Like I was like, oh, the reason he didn't want to leave Babylon Five is because he's never like. I mean, he's and, never had this again, opportunity. We say never. We haven't seen all all of his. Maybe there is uh, a TV show where he had an incredible uh, guest turn. Yeah, but, but he never but got to yeah, have a recurring like, role in the way no. that he did on Babylon Five. And those are the ones that you want to gun for a lot. Not always. We've had so many spotlight actors where they've been happy to live in the one and done world with no desire to be more. But I get the feeling that this is a guy who wants who wants more, who wanted mm-hmm. more, and it's sad. Now, Rachel, can I... I already know this, so yeah. I'm not going to pretend like I'm guessing but this. He, think... he, was in, he was in Gilmore Girls, yes, wasn't he? Yes, I, I was building up to Gilmore Girls. Okay. The one that I wanted to bring up next was Seventh Heaven. You are Seventh Heaven Head. I have watched more of Seventh Heaven than I think I'm, I care to admit myself. That's... Unfortunate. Um, yeah, but he's in an early, early season episode called "Brave New World." Oh, I believe, like the book. Yeah, and I'm like, this, this, this is weird. But this is the synopsis. So he's Mister Somebody, assumably a, a teacher at the school. And the synopsis for this episode is the school body, the school bully experiences a severe lapse in judgment when he tries to sexually harass Mary. No! (laughs) Yeah, he... What if he played the school bully? (laughs) (laughs) He has a backward cap on. (laughs) He has a reefer voice. Yeah, 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 I like that. He was in X-Files, of course, in an episode called Millennium, which was the... Uh, series finale for the cancelled television series Millennium. And, uh, well, if you want to see Lance Henriksen in an episode of X-Files, you can watch that one. But he was just a guy, a funeral director. He was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well as just a doctor 
doesn't even get doctor such and such, just a doctor mm-hmm. man, just a guy. So he did these little genre shows. He never got to do Star Trek, which is unfortunate. I would have loved yeah, to have seen him. Yeah, too bad. He would have been uh, fun. Oh, yeah. he would have been a great Romulan, Sorry, wouldn't he? I, I just want to clarify because <laughs> yeah. I don't think you maybe realize this. So that episode of Seventh Heaven is about somebody sexually harassing an underage Jessica Beale. No, not Jessica Beale. No. I <laughs> I don't know I if I can recover from of, that. I have a bit of fun trivia about his career, something I, I found um, about uh, the last show. Uh, like his last listed performance, which was on a, a TV show that ran from uh, 2000 to 2003. Did did either of you see this? this there's something interesting about this show. I, I haven't looked. Tell me. Okay. So that's he has three appearances on this uh like TV show Strong Medicine and I was like I've never ever heard of the show uh I I'm I'm curious because this is the last thing he was ever in and I click on it in IMDb and who is one of the stars I I, 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 I I see it. I see it. I look. It's 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 handsome old Corwin. Corwin. It's Joshua Cox. <laughs> it's what he went on to after Babylon Five. <laughs> he got a bigger part. He's like one of the lead guys. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah Corwin. He's, he's one of the the stars of Strong Medicine. He's, Corwin he's is the probably lead, one of the lead uh, like a handsome Reefa doctor or something. Too. Now, Rachel, please regale us. Everyone, sit down. So roast a marshmallow in Buffy. Roast a marshmallow around the campfire. <laughs> Rachel's going to tell us about the time he was on Gilmore Girls. Now, was he in an episode with Michael York? No. Was he in oh, an episode with Jane fun. Carr? No. Was he oh, in an episode? If I keep listing fun. every actor that we've had on Babylon Five that was in Gilmore Girls, will it eventually be right? <laughs> was 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 ever was any of the lead actors from Babylon Five in Gilmore Girls? Like like was Peter Jurassic ever in Gilmore Girls? Like I know he was in One Tree Hill. But like, was was Bruce ever on Gilmore Girls as one of Lorelai's suitors? Like, gosh, jeez, Lorelai, I just want to hold your hand. <laughs> Let me hold your hand. <laughs> she loves you, you know. I saw it in her face at dinner every time she looked at you. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Of course. So he's in a. Again, relatively early episode. I think it's season three. Okay. So Rory's still at school? Yeah, Rory's still at school. Um, Her grandfather convinces her to take a trip to Yale. And at this stage, um, Lorelai and Rory are both set on Rory going to Harvard. Mm. So everything is Harvard, 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 Harvard. Harvard, yes. But of course, the grandfather's a Yale man. No, mm-hmm. and I mean um, they're they're in Connecticut. She should yeah. she should go to Yale. She should not. <laughs> go I've never watched Gilmore Girls, but I am from Connecticut. Uh, so I I would never. I mean, I I didn't go to school and I didn't go to college in Connecticut, but I certainly wouldn't leave to go to Massachusetts. Awesome. <laughs> terrible. Hear that, everyone? For you Americans out there, you got a lot out of that. Well, I'm just sitting here going, sure, man, um, sure, sure, whatever that. A means. good chunk of this episode, like they're walking around, being like, "Isn't this campus great? It has like this world class gallery." There you are, and he's he, art gallery, and, and you know the grandparents are reminiscing about their courtship and how um she the grandmother stole 
Stole him away from a woman that he was engaged to. No. Was William Ford the one who got them together? I'd love that. I'd love if you just said right now, no. William Ford would set them up like on a, a day. bus driver no. that like just pulls open the door no, and no, no, goes he's... like, come on in, Lorelai. No, no, no. Okay, a... no more lines. No, 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 no. He's the guy that when they have a flashback, he's their young, sexy greaser friend with a leather jacket and like a He's an hand. old friend of Richard's. Okay. And an administration officer, and uh, who Richard ambushes Rory with a meeting with William Ford. So he ambushes young women, huh? That's um, his character. But in he a few doesn't things. know that it's an ambush. Oh well, he, I wish I was like, oh, my old friend William asked forward. me to have a chat a to his granddaughter. Was he a surprise boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> he was. A s- Surprise meeting. There you not, are. Not a boyfriend. Was though. he funny though? That's um, the thing. It seems like he does a lot of comedy stuff, which is again, I don't associate yeah, Reefer being actually like, funny. I find him very amusing. But... Yeah, like I bet it... it's. I bet villain acting is a little bit of the same muscles. I think you could pull some good like punchline deliveries well that's how we have peter jurisic right yeah he's a a comedy guy he was known for being the comedic weird little criminal man on uh hill street blues and then Mm. we have mb5 where he uses a lot of those comedic skills and muscles to be londo no he's not funny in this thing Uh, (laughs) (laughs) he's just like vaguely authoritarian old man um He's just kind of happy to be there. Like he's just like, I'll make sure to check out that book that you recommended. She's like, don't get scared off by the Oprah sticker on the cover. Oof, oof, oof. It was a pleasure to meet you. I'll read that book you recommended. And don't be fooled by the Oprah seal on the cover. It's actually very good. <laughs> well, how did it go? I see that everyone is smiling. Richard, your granddaughter is everything you said and more. You should be very proud. I am very proud. It was nice meeting you. Same here. I'll see you at dinner later, Richard. Thanks, Harris. I have never heard what William Forward's views on Babylon 5 are after he was done. I've never seen him at any of, like, I've never seen any mentions of him at conventions. I've watched footage of the conventions many times, and rarely, if ever, is he mentioned, let alone referenced or talked about. I want to know what William Forward's relationship with this series is. Is there anyone who ever just goes, hey, you're a reefer? Because I would. I would love to talk to William Ford. Out of all these actors, I'd love to talk to him and Naroon. Those are the two guys I'd love to know more about their small time on this series. I rate And the Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place on our scale of yum being bad and yum yum being good. I give it a yum yum, of course. Yum yum. Yum yum. Yum yum. Ben, there's a lot of pressure on you now. You have to decide between yum or yum yum. What is your decision, mister? Oh man! Wow, I'm sweating. Um, uh, yum, yum, two yums. Wow, you yeah, really hated I, it. You know, I, 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 I hesitated, but in, in the end, I, I had to follow my heart. Yum, yum. I want to know what you and I, Rachel, will be talking about and watching next time on Babylon 5. And you will hear that from Ben. Ben, you have the DVD description in front of you. What does it say for the next episode of Babylon 5? On the next Babylon 5. Episode 21, Shadow Dancing. 
A time of confrontations. Franklin confronts his personal nemesis and finds he is that foe. Plus, Sheridan war vessels battle the massive shadow armada. <laughs> plus, plus. <laughs> Not a meanwhile. A plus. It's an addition. It's an addition to the Sheridan. The Sheridan stuff is an addition to the Franklin. So, Ben, where can people find you and your podcast? Uh, people can listen to our podcast, well, The Last Best Babylon 5 Podcast, on, on all of your podcast services. You can follow us on Instagram at LastBestB5 and also on Twitter. Uh, Maybe. That same, LastBestB5. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if it's still there by the time we upload this yeah like by the time this is out <laughs> isn't that really funny when i first started this podcast there was no doubt in my mind that by the time i finished it i wouldn't have to worry about changing any of the social medias that we recommend at the end of this i was like oh well those will be around yeah like it's it's the solid yeah yeah triad like yeah things. they'll be around sure sure now i'm worried that for fuck's sake tiktok's gonna be the one that lasts oh no mm. but that is true we are also in all of those social media platforms Forms. We are on all of them under Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. We mm. post on there regularly, interact with people on there. So if you want to talk to us, you can ping us ping us on whatever mm-hmm. of the social medias you use and we'll respond. Mm-hmm. If even if it's a like, even if I give you a little love heart that says, I agree with that statement. You you did good today. And then you can email us your thoughts, questions, queries, concerns, and whatever else you'd like to over at yumyumpod at gmail.com. Isn't that right, Rachel? Yes. And we have a Patreon where we talk about numerous things, the X-Men movies, the Star Trek movies. Uh, we've talked about Strange New Worlds over there. We've talked about season two of Star Trek Picard. We haven't talked about Gilmore Girls or Buffy We haven't Buffy talked yet. about Gilmore Girls or Buffy yet, but uh, rest assured, one day, maybe. Uh, <laughs> we have a bonus series where we're talking about space above and beyond. You can come over there, Yum Yum Podcast on Patreon. All of this helped you i helped you guys i helped you i held your hand because i put all of this in the description of the episode so it's your fault if you can't find it okay and it's your fault if you haven't rated and reviewed the podcast you've had the opportunities and if you haven't done it you've let me down you let rachel down ben he's indifferent it's not his podcast but i feel <laughs> like he's a little bit down a little bit Mr. down. Mr. Listener, I gave you all the clues. <laughs> no, guys, it's time for me to leave because we've only filmed like a certain amount of the episode and we've just got to release it anyway, like the snowman. Uh, Jakar was here. He could have said uh, he could have said good yum, eating. Yum, I was going to say, he could have said good <laughs> eating to you and yum yum as a farewell kiss to Reefa. Mm-hmm. Hey, those two have never interacted before, huh? Reefer and Jakar. They've never had to have scenes together until this one, and what an interaction it was, where Jakar doesn't even need to say anything to let the hatred be known. But good eating to you, Rachel. Good eating to you, Ryan. And good eating to you, Benjamin. Good eating. Wanderers. <laughs> you fuck. <laughs> <laughs>